If it weren't for bacon, I would probably be an atheist. Thunderbolt strength. Welcome to the Thunderbolt Strength Podcast. This is Bryant Hankins, and I have my co-host, Molly. Hi, Bryant. And Kevin. What up? And today, we're turning the mics around and talking to each other. If you ever wanted to learn more about one of us, then this is your podcast. And if you didn't, it still is your podcast. That's right. You're stuck with it either way. Can't get out of it now. And no listening at two times speed. <laughs> what you got for us, Molly? My question for you two is, what would you say to your younger self? What advice would the you of today give the you of 16 years old? I'm going to go athletically on this one. It's going to be stop benching. We had a advanced personal fitness class. There was a lifting platform, bumper plates, and our coach was like, all right, we can learn the snatch, the clean and jerk, all this stuff, the power clean, but you could also kind of do whatever you want. And so we kind of said, screw that. Bench one day, curls the next day. The day after that, it's time for bench again, rinse and repeat. So I really wish I started with the more functional stuff. What did your on. bench get up to in those days? Not that much because I did the same thing every time because, you know, we're just, we're just broing out. That's where I got my PhD in bro culture, but <laughs> I, you know, I didn't really make much gains. You had lots of flexing in the mirrors kind of thing? Uh, fair amount, yeah. Yeah, that's important. A bit. That's the one thing I miss with CrossFit. Yeah. Not enough mirrors to flex in. Yeah. But, I mean, you see all the guys, especially now that come in, that are so front heavy in their shoulder, and yeah. they just have so many shoulder problems, and it's because all we did was bench. We, yeah. weren't, we were just pushing, weren't doing any pulling. There's, you know. there's definitely some mobility loss, too, as I look into you know forward head posture and all some of that kind of stuff. Oh, it's, yeah. Everything's getting pulled forward, and your shoulders are all getting pulled forward. And, um, I've never met an athlete that had overactive rear shoulder musculature. Right. Only front. Right. I've never seen someone that was rolled backwards ever. Yeah. I'm sure it exists, but. Probably. Somewhere. Somewhere. Right. Yeah, that'd be my advice. Quit benching. Yeah. So you first learned how to snatch. With you. With me. Yeah, on ramp. Wow. So that would have changed. Maybe you would have been teaching me how to snatch. Maybe. 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 Wow. Sliding doors. Although I did like that. I mean, I liked coming in with no. I, I liked letting you build me up from the ground up. I didn't have any argument i just kind of did what you said so it worked out not too much to unlearn yeah maybe if i learned a really bad snatch early on it wouldn't be as pretty as it is today that's true you know it's important to have a pretty snatch <laughs> but i'm bummed what he's here all week folks <laughs> um so my what i would tell my younger self is don't worry about it so much i guess i i Especially when I was younger, I worried about doing everything perfectly and I would, wouldn't attempt something unless I could do it perfect. I still have a little bit of that. We always talk about my perfectionism. And the reality, you think when you're younger or maybe even when people are older, they still think this. Everyone's watching them and everyone's judging them. But the reality is everyone's doing their own thing and they're thinking about themselves. And for the most part, they're not watching you and they're not judging you and they really don't care what you do. So do what you want to do and don't stress about it because... I think it's called the spotlight effect. You think everyone's watching you, but for the most part, they aren't. Yeah, man. I feel like it took a lot of years to get to this level of fuck it. Should right. I, <laughs> should I beep that or should I keep it? Out? Just keep it. Keep it? All right. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's one of the best things about like being over 30 is you really, truly don't care. I feel like when you're a kid, you're like, yeah, I don't care what people think of me. Yes. But it's because you want people to think that you don't care. Right. But being an adult is great. Like you really, at least I hope for everyone else, it's the same way. Yeah. You care much less. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. My answer would be, first of all, I wish that I had gotten involved with a sport. I had no sport at all. So um, I don't know. All my experiences with like gym, PE, the particular school that I went to called it girls education. Um, they were all very negative experiences. Wait, what exactly happened to yeah, girls let's education? Get into um, it was a very small, private school, and um, for PE class, they divided up girls and boys, and it was girls' education, 
and boys education. Was the girls education like a lot of pillow fights and stuff? <laughs> That's how I pictured it at these private schools. I don't remember too much about it. I remember somebody came in and tried to teach us how to play tennis and I remember trying to get a note to get out of it and I don't know. There was some cross stitch. Uh, it was in PE. cross stitch <laughs> in girls education. Ah. That is a valuable skill that girls need to learn is cross-stitching. Right, right. Which one is cross-stitching? Yeah, I, I can't know. ever keep it straight. You know where you make the X with the um, your thread? You make an X, and you make enough Xs to make a shape that looks like something. Could okay. be a nice hobby for you, Kevin. Molly Hankins from cross-stitch to cross-fit. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, I, one thing I think is interesting, because people would be surprised to hear this, is that you really didn't do... Uh, sports Anything. or physical fitness for a long time, yeah. I, right? I mean, when we met, you weren't. No, really I, super I didn't do any sports, anything. nothing like that. Uh, I was, let's see, Jenna was six months old when I started running, so I was twenty-eight or twenty-nine. It's never too late, folks. It never is. Wow, too late. that is crazy. Yeah, didn't do a thing before that. It's the truth. Hmm. So. I've always been wanting to get into this in a podcast and we haven't had a chance. So, Kevin, tell us how your parkour history shaped you and give us a little bit of the feel of what it was like to be mm. an elite. Mm-hmm. Is it a parkour athlete? I don't know that what the right phrase is. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that, yeah. I was elite because so few people were doing it at the time. But really. it was all over YouTube at one point, right? I mean, there was a whole peak parkour time period. I don't know. I mean, it showed up in the office, so it must have been a thing. Yeah, I, I actually started before YouTube. So we were actually kind of like sending videos to each other before YouTube. But me and my friend, it started in high school. Me and my friends, basically we would go downtown to like the different downtowns of the suburbs here. And we would just try to find buildings to climb and just basically try to free climb them called it buildering. So it's like a building and then bouldering mixed together buildering. Then we saw these videos, these French guys who were kind of the first ones to do it to where it's like you are imagine you're running on a straight line through an urban environment in whatever concrete rail bench whatever comes in front of you you are just going to move over it efficiently quickly not in a blocky way just absolutely as efficient as you can that's really what parkour is the flips and everything else are sort of a purist would not call that parkour they would call that free running Hmm. but kind of a blend of both is what people seem to be drawn to but yeah, I just found guys that were training it down in the city and that's where I spent all my college years. I didn't drink or anything cause I was just climbing buildings and <laughs> doing flips and stuff like that. How did you build up to the, to the big movements? I mean, were you starting with like mats and stuff and then, no, no. Cause it was all outside. So everything was a progression when so there's something called a precision jump where you are jumping, say, say there's two curbs and they're three feet away. And you stand on one and you jump to the other one. And no matter what, you cannot fall off that other one. You have to stick that jump and you're because at a certain point when we're going to move to something else to where you're going to make that jump. But if you fall, you're going to get gravely injured. Mm-hmm. So you do. It's just like any other athletic thing where it's all about progression. You do it until you can't mess it up. And then you slowly make it bigger and bigger and bigger. It's that muscle memory kind exactly, of thing you're yeah. building up. Yeah. It's that progression. Wow. And you learn how to, you learn how to miss. It's just like with, uh, Olympic lifting. Yep. How to bail. Yeah. The more comfortable you get missing, the safer it is to go for a bigger lift just like that. Yeah. So, I mean, when you, when you're going to jump a gap between two roofs, you have to know a thousand times out of a thousand, I will make, you're going to make that. Yeah. And you get a very good sense for that. I mean, I know exactly how far I can jump to this day. How much time did you spend practicing? To oh, get to the level you got a to. A ton, yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, was it like an hour a day kind of thing? Or, I mean... I would always go at night. I'd probably go out three, four hours a night with a group wow. of guys. Um, was it you always bring a buddy kind of thing? Or would you ever go out and practice I trained a lot alone because um, a lot of people would want to do it. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, we're going to work on this jump. And I usually start... There was this, this gap that I would start. I would jump from one side to the other. And then climb back up, jump from one side to the other, and I would do it a hundred times. It'd yeah. take over an hour. But so it could be kind of tedious and getting people to commit to that yeah, was yeah. a problem. Or like learning to roll. Your roll has to be perfect if you're gonna jump off a roof and then roll and then keep running. Yeah. If if you mess that up at high speed, you're gonna get hurt. So 
people would come, they would want to train. And I said, all right, well, we are going to drill this. You know, it's just like bringing someone through an on-ramp course with a empty <laughs> barbell. They're like, well, I don't want to do this. I want to, I want to go at it. But you know, it's not, it's not sexy. The result of it is, but you the training like anything is else. There's all this work. You see the parkour videos and you're like, awesome. I'm going to go jump off a building. But behind that is a hundred hours or oh, yeah. 500 hours yep. of people practicing a very small jump and yeah. building up from there. In the, the crew that I trained with, I probably trained with those guys pretty consistently for about five years. We only had one guy get hurt ever. Oh, wow. And he, he knocked his teeth out on a curb, but Ooh. yeah, or a ledge. It wasn't a curb. Yeah. So you that never, was, that went, was it. Never went to the ER and never broke no. a bone? No, not doing that. Wow. No, not doing that. <laughs> no, not doing that. No, I, playing basketball. I, oh. I tore my ACL and I dislocated my foot both oh, times wow. playing basketball. But no parkour injury. Nothing. No. Wow. Because I thought for sure you were going to have, a I mean, story you, get, you like, get scraped up and stuff like that. Yeah. Or, I mean, I banged my toe a couple of times, but nothing can considering the crazy stuff that we were doing. Yeah. It was, I mean, nobody got hurt because it, it's such a discipline. What was the craziest thing that you guys worked up to being able to do? There's a, there's a jump downtown by the river. There's kind of like this staircase that goes down in a triangle. Uh-huh. And I want to say it's three or four stories tall. And you can climb up on one of the top posts and jump across basically the triangle gap to the lower platform. Yeah. And we all did it. Uh-huh. So if we, and I did it once cause I was a big risk reward guy. The reward is okay. I made this jump that, yeah. you know, it's not that far. That's the reward. The risk is you probably die, but, <laughs> but probably die. yeah, but that's, the, that's what the training was it always was the goal sort of that the satisfaction of making the jump for yourself or was it, we're going to have this really cool video that we'll put online and uh, whatever, a thousand people will see it. And the video, not so much. And again, at the time it was, it was harder to get a video out there. And I mean, cameras were not like they are today. So were the hack attack videos later on? Those were kind of in the middle. Actually, I have a lot crazier stuff on my camera that is, that I just never edited. But, um, yeah, I would say it's kind of like, I've the closest thing I've heard to it is like guys who climb mountains, they'll see a mountain and be like, Ooh, like I see it now I have to do, do it. it. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like walking through that environment and you'll see a gap or you'll see some, something that you could possibly do and be like, I got to conquer yeah. that. Like, I think that's possible. I want to get it. And then within the group, it's like if one guy gets something that before we thought was impossible, yeah. suddenly everybody else it's like somebody it, yeah. get one person in your group getting their first muscle up or whatever, right? Exactly. And, and everyone has to do it. Yeah, yeah, just like that. Or they they show that it can be done too. You yeah, know, they with the Roger Bannister breaking the what did he break the four minute four mile? minute mile? Then yeah. it, no one had done it. He but, does it, and now every, other people start to do it. Right? They didn't think it was yeah. possible. Or Tony Hawk hitting the nine hundred. Yes, yeah. I heard an interview with him. That was awesome. Yeah. How did uh, parkour help you with CrossFit? Um. I got good at assessing a movement and then doing it. So like body and that, awareness and space. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Agility, balance. I mean. Yeah. All that stuff for sure. Yeah. What yeah. made you decide to stop? Why did you get stopped doing parkour? Why was the fellowship broken? Um, I mean, everybody kind of moved away. I was training when I was in school. It was a lot easier because I could just walk outside and there's, it's the perfect environment for it. This like, is in the city in Chicago. No, this, well, this is at ISU. And then on the weekends I'd, I'd go up there to train. Okay. So around here, that's the environment's not really as condu- conducive to it. Yeah. And then I just, I got into other things. Yeah. You know? so. Does anyone in your group still do parkour? Oh yeah. I mean, we, we check in on each other. I have one friend that, and he actually just started doing CrossFit. What up, Leon? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, every now and then we'll check in with each other and make sure we can at least still backflip. So. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. we, and there are videos of you doing backflips at CrossFit, so people can look that up, right? Uh, yeah, somewhere. Running know. up a wall or something, I thought. Yeah, there's that somewhere. A, that, that's a backflip, right? I've seen one. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's got a little piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Maybe we'll link to it in the show notes, or at least Kevin's glory days of parkour. Yeah, maybe. I'll think about Hack it. Hack attack. Think about it. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that, that did allow me to see the uh, Naked Mermaid Parade, which we touched oh, on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell us about the Naked Mermaid Parade. Yeah, all right. So you know those, um, when you see a train go by, you know those big containers that come across from overseas? Yeah. So this billionaire is named Sam Zell. You can look him up. I think he owned the Tribune. 
he's having a birthday party and they built this structure out of those things that was five high, five containers high. They hired me and it's probably, probably six of us in total. We would climb up the front of the shipping containers and then on, so at the fourth level you unlatch it and then you swing it open and then inside there's like some art exhibit or whatever. And the art exhibits were weird. So the one I opened up was this girl in a bathtub full of paint and she had light bulbs and she was just sitting there with the light bulbs and she'd like dip them in the paint. What? They were These all were... super abstract. I didn't get it. I was like, so it was live art exhibit. Yeah. Okay. And then in the middle of it, there's, there was a parade of topless mermaids that just kind of like, <laughs> just kind of when all that parkour work finally paid off. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were all like 21, 22 <laughs> yeah. and this was like eyes wide shut type stuff. Yeah. And we're like, what is going on? <laughs> and then Paul Simon played. I was going to ask. I thought that was the Paul yeah. Simon yep. story. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So. Was that the best show you've ever heard? You know, I was kind of distracted by the mermaids. <laughs> it was hard to listen to. Paul yeah, Simon. it was. It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was that was an experience. Wow. I had a, a similar experience in, in some ways where, I don't know, I had to be 14 or something. And uh, I was always into art and drawing. And my parents had signed me up for a drawing class at, at like the local studio in Springfield, Illinois. And our class was, it was like still life or something, right? So you're drawing fruit and whatever. And the pencil I was using broke. And I was like, oh, I need to sharpen my pencil. And they're like, oh, go around the corner. And there's a pencil sharpener there, right? I go around the corner and there's this nude woman, nude model, modeling. And I'm like going to sharpen my pencil. Uh, you know, I was 14. I tried to sharpen my pencil for as long as possible. Yeah. Just got back to my class. Is but that it a was, euphemism? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That's hilarious. Yeah. Hey, what about your uh, tennis days, Bryant? Tell us my about tennis. tennis. Uh, tennis days. That was my first love, I guess, in terms of sports. I always wonder about what gets someone into a sport. And I think there is something to you just having the right build or skill set. So I was a kind of a, this is going to come as a surprise to a lot of our listeners, but I was sort of a book nerd. Wow. That's shocking. Yes. Played, played the Dungeons and Dragons, you know, read a lot, computer programming, that kind of thing. So I hadn't done a lot of sports and my freshman year of high school, Someone said, hey, let's go out and hit a tennis ball around. And I thought, all right, whatever, you know, like pushed up my glasses and went out there. And he was like, wow, you're really good for never, ever playing tennis. Like it seems very natural to you. And I was left handed, which is a benefit in tennis. And uh, he said, you should go out for the team because you probably make it. And that same year I went out for the team and made it. And it was a, I totally enjoyed it because I picked it up very quickly and it was good camaraderie with the guys, and we got to travel around Illinois, the glorious small town of Illinois, small towns of Illinois, and probably the first really tapped into my competitiveness and enjoying, you know, moving up the hierarchy and, and competition. And we were like the number two doubles team, and went to state and all that, and it was awesome. It was a great experience, and then I uh, got to play in college as well. Did you did you have a scholarship? Bookstore scholarship. Uh, the bookstore scholarship. I don't <laughs> think I, I, because it was a Division three school, we weren't allowed to have scholarships. Right. There was a euphemism for the bookstore scholarship. Yeah. Right. What school was that? Uh, McMurray College. There's so, a there's like a tennis ranking, right? Is there, or like some kind of score that they assign to players? Yeah, there is a score. So I don't know what I would have been back then, but as I've played competitively now, I would be like a 4.5. That uh, doesn't mean anything to anyone that doesn't play tennis. But yeah, I just realized that. Yeah, <laughs> but for those tennis players listening, well, tell I was four point five. Is that pretty good? Yeah. What's yeah? I mean, it's pretty good. I I could win tournaments around here, like you know, of reasonable size. Now, didn't you really? come in? You did a you did a tournament a few years ago. Yeah. There's like I a think what was that called? Second place, gladiator second tennis. Place. Second place, right? Yeah. Do you think you could beat Molly and I, one v two? Ironically. It's not that much better for you to have two if you don't know what you're doing that well. I mean, it depends on how good <laughs> yeah. you guys are. Oh, I guess I guess uh, we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I could beat you. I'm I'm pretty confident. You'd I could probably beat, beat you guys. us with your serve. Just alone. the serve yeah, alone, I would win the serve. serve. All my serves probably, and then I can serve and volley fairly well. So unless you're good at lobbying, um, which is a bit of a skill. What does lobbying mean? 
for people who don't know tennis. <laughs> so lobbying <laughs> is when someone comes to the net. So serve and volley is what I tend to do. I serve and then I rush the net, right? I'm coming to the net and then I'll volley, put it away from there. A lob would be I'm at the net. You're going to hit it over me, but still keep it. So where I can't reach it at all to slam but it, still but in. still leave it in the court. So you would need some top spin and... Um, yeah, typically the people that are good at beat me are really good at lobs. So, can I ask you a tennis question before we move on? Yes. What's up with the grunting? Well, so here's what's interesting. I had some. I've had many tennis lessons throughout my illustrious career, and one of the problems I still struggle with a little bit now is I will tend to hold my breath, not only in tennis but as I'm concentrating on anything. And coaches will say you should, as you swing, you want to breathe out. Oh yeah. So. The grunting is an exaggerated version of that breathing out. It's like the ki in martial arts. It is very much so. Got it. So that that's where that comes from. I thought you were going to ask me about the love and all the crazy deuce and well, scoring. No, that comes from French. Yeah, thank you. I'm a well-read man. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I guess you are. But it, it, it the whole tennis thing. I always think about that with CrossFit. I'm thinking like, wow, I just don't have the body for CrossFit, but I have the right body for tennis. There's something about you look at someone and you're like, that one is that person is genetically should be a this or a that, right? You know, you look at Michelle and you're like, all right, she's perfect for CrossFit, right? Or, you know, even you, Molly, or... Um, but you look at my build and it's like, oh, it's perfect for tennis. I, have to, I always have to wonder, someone gets into a sport sometimes just because it's well-suited for them. What uh, carryover is there from tennis to CrossFit? Not a lot. I mean, there's a level of conditioning you need for tennis, but a tennis is a lot of hand-eye coordination, which doesn't, as far as I know, isn't relevant at all in CrossFit. Well, that leads me to a question. Do you think maybe we don't focus enough on balance, agility, yeah, and some I, of those other for skills? Sure, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, in, in my warm-ups, I make everybody balance. Everybody really? hates it. Oh, yeah. Give us an example. Yeah. Oh, um, single leg Romanian deadlifts. Do that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Single leg kettlebell stuff. All the unilater- unilateral stuff where you have to balance. So here's what's and funny. Everyone, I mean, you look at, ask most adults to balance on one foot, yeah. and it's shocking how bad they are at it i mean it's that's the kind of skill that keeps you from falling on the ice or slipping in the tub yeah. all that stuff yeah i mean balance really is a life skill so when i was just rehabbing that calf and i was talking to the pt that was one of the big things he was saying he felt was missing from crossfit is not a lot of unilateral stuff so and one of the things he was showing me is though you know holding the kettlebell up with one and yeah. on one foot we're getting more people on board with the single yeah. single yeah th- i'm seeing stuff. i am seeing more of that but i don't see a lot of like working on aim for example um, except for wall balls, you don't really aim a lot in CrossFit, yeah, right? Yeah, except for wall yeah. balls. I would just say do CrossFit and then play a sport on the weekends. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you play a sport, you're getting your change of direction, your accuracy, your aim, all that stuff. Yeah. It doesn't matter what sport. There's a lot of change of direction in tennis. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's how you blow your calf and get tennis leg like I got. Got the old tennis leg. The old leg. tennis leg. Slow you down for a <laughs> little bit. Put me down. Yeah. Cut me down to my prime. Well, so injury-wise, I know you've talked to your PT a lot about why you possibly got that calf injury yeah. the, fir- the first time while you were playing tennis. Yeah. And what, are, what were some of his thoughts about that? So his take for me is that it's entirely mobility. So he's, his take was both my calves were super tight, and it was never something I spent time on stretching my calves and he he thinks both the injuries I've gotten in my different sports careers have been mobility related. And he, his take is I should just spend more time mobility. And I've always been very tight and never had caused a problem. But I think more and more it's something I, I'm planning to focus a lot of time on regularly doing ROM wads. I have a whole mobility routine that I'm trying to start doing nightly. And um, I think you can get injuries by being, we've talked about this a little bit, hypermobile or hypomobile. Like you're the opposite, right? right. So you're crazy flexible. And, yeah, my and I'm like, yeah. Lack of stability have been my yeah. injuries. So I don't know. I think the mobility thing is huge and it's easy to forget it or not focus on it because it's not the sexy thing, you know, like getting the next lift or hitting the perfect serve, but it's it's important. Did you, Kevin, did you play sports all the way growing up? Uh, no, I'm, I'm mainly, sk- well, yeah, when I was a kid, I played pretty much every sport. Um, I mean, I really got into everything. Throughout high school, it was mostly skateboarding, yeah. and then it turned into same kind of mentality. Kind of went into CrossFit. Well, that was I mean parkour. <laughs> parkour, yeah. <laughs> that was something I was wondering about. Is um, I didn't come to a sport until later, and you know, um, early on through running and some bodybuilding, I had a series of injuries, and I attribute a lot of that to the fact that I didn't grow up doing sports. They were 
Like my body wasn't used to moving correctly, didn't really know how to run that type of thing. Did you grow up playing sports, Brian? Well, I had tennis starting at... At 14? 14. Before that? Nothing before. that. would be just running around the yard with you know yeah. friends and that kind of thing. No organized sports. Interesting. Because hmm. I hadn't gotten any injuries till 40, so... Yeah, just a thought. I think the audience really wants to know. We talked about how you didn't do any sports while you were younger. Tell us a little bit about your fitness journey, how you got to be the amazing athlete that you are. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, she's just been doing this since she was five or she's super genetically gifted. Well, first of all, I'm not an amazing athlete, so you can oh. strike that I, out. But You're I an amazing disagree. athlete in my heart. <laughs> That's ridiculous. In my heart, you're an amazing athlete. Um, so after Jenna was born, she's our second child, and I was about 28 years old, I just had this moment um, where... I woke up one day and I thought, I don't want to live like this anymore. I just, I was out of shape. I couldn't keep up. I couldn't do anything. I didn't like how my body felt. Um, When I was pregnant with Jenna, I remember we went for a little hike and I had to keep sitting down to rest. Like I couldn't even walk, I don't know, like a quarter of a mile. I had to keep sitting down to rest. And um, I just had this day one day where I said, I can't live like this anymore and I got a jogging stroller and um Jenna was over six months old she she was able to go in the jogging stroller and um we went out and I jogged until I couldn't jog anymore and then I walked and then I jogged and I walked and um I just started a new routine for myself and uh every time I went out I was able to jog longer than I had the time before and I just started running I became a crazy running lady running all over the neighborhood there was a time where I would go to the grocery store and people would be like, hey, I saw your wife running on the streets of, you know, <laughs> by, I, all the time. It'd be, yeah. oh, I just saw Molly, Molly running on the road, you know, and she was like the neighborhood crazy running person. Yeah. Honey, that's the running wife's husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A crazy, crazy running lady of Georgetown. How many, then, pull, how many pull-ups can you do? Right now? Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess that the number's around... 17 or 18 strict pull-ups. And what's your deadlift? Deadlift. The last time I tested one rep max, it was 250. And it's likely going to be more than that when I retest it. So over 100 pounds over body weight? Over, yeah, two times body weight. And two times plus. You've run a marathon. Three marathons. You've run three marathons. So you said you're not a great athlete. So that's three data points <laughs> that suggest otherwise. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I... There are a couple of things I'm good at, and there's lots of things I'm not good at. I am great at strict pull-ups, um, and I am great at workouts that are sort of like long, slow grinders. Like the workout we did on Friday, that hero wad, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the name of it right now. Moser. Mm-hmm. Moser. Yeah. That was my... Your jam. That was my jam. Long, slow grinder, just don't ever stop, keep moving. I love those type of workouts. And that's very similar to um, my mentality with half marathons and marathons. You kind of pick this pace and you just yeah. constantly go. So you're like a diesel. I'm like a diesel, yeah. right. Yeah. I was trying to figure out athletically what car everybody is. I like that. Yeah. I don't know enough about cars to figure that out, but I think that's a fun way to categorize people. So I'm a diesel. You're definitely what are, a diesel. What are you? Uh, I'm probably like a, uh, probably some sort of Prius. Like if you could put a Prius engine in like an F one fifty, that'd probably be what I am. <laughs> so you can serve like you turn off yeah. when you're at the stop. He's very, he's very quiet. Have you noticed when he jumps in a box, nobody can hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those, those Prius are very quiet. So when you take those quick, you know, seconds to get a drink of water in the middle of a wad, you're turning your engine off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah he's very water. energy efficient. Yeah, I am. Yeah. So what's Bryant? I think you'd be a Camaro. Okay. But the V six one. Ooh. Still moves pretty good. Yeah. But, you know, not not super loud and aggressive. Yeah, I think that's okay. fair. I yeah. like that. We yeah. all have our cars yeah. now. That's good. In teal. In teal. <laughs> that's a good color for me. <laughs> Getting back to Molly's story. Yes. So you started running with Jenna, and then you got to the point where you were doing marathons? Well, the, the first race that I signed up for was a half marathon. I don't know if you remember. We ran it together. It was... Uh, Half Brian's literally looking <laughs> like, he, like he genuinely does not remember. <laughs> I don't remember some things. It but was it the takes Banco Popular. Oh yes, downtown half marathon yes, downtown. I remember. It's it used to be Steel at trap. the beginning of, <laughs> at the beginning of September every year. I'm yes, not sure if that. Half I remember that one. It was a good happens. one. 
um, you go along Lakeshore Drive. Yes. So that was my my first race that I signed up for, half marathon. Straight for the half Mary. Straight. You didn't for even the do a five k. I did not do a five k before wow. that half marathon. Um, and it should come as no surprise that I like five k's less than I like half marathons. They hurt How more. How is that possible? They hurt That doesn't more. surprise because well, you yeah, got to really hit it on a five k. What about like a casual five k? Casual 5K is no anything yeah. casual is. So no you're problem. saying trying to PR your 5K? PR hurts my more. 5K that oh, hurts. I definitely, that hurts. Yeah, that hurts. That's it's more like, like a Fran. Yeah, kind of a Fran thing. hurts yeah. way more than like a 10 minute workout. Yeah. yeah. So um, you ran the marathons. Ran the marathons. Um, ended up well. I before I ran the marathons, I ended up joining a gym and starting doing some bodybuilding type of movements and. Right, but is you that the short hair phase. Yes. yes. Short hair Molly. That was that was that you was got really heavily into bodybuilding. I mean, it, yeah. it seemed like it was two hours a night kind of thing, Monday through yeah. Friday. Five days a week. Five days a week. And then my long run. You on know, the there weekend. was chest day and shoulder day and yep. back day. Never the did whole. leg day though. Never did leg day. No, because I ran and I didn't oh, want to yeah. be sore. Mm. <clears throat> but then um, I had a series of injuries. Um, it started with a hip injury, and um, I found out I had a labral tear in my left hip. And I had to go in and have the MRI and everything like that. And this was 2009. Yeah. Um, everybody at, at that time in my life was saying, you, you just have to get the surgery. You got to get it fixed. Um, you, you know, this is not something that's going to heal. Yeah. And I didn't even try physical therapy. I just kind of like went with what the surgeon recommended and what a lot of people were saying at the time. So I went in and got this... Uh, labral repair of and i remember hip. at the time there was we were scared because we were thinking oh maybe she won't be able to work out anymore you won't yeah. be able to run and you won't be able to exercise at all anymore yep. it's just funny to think that there was this point <laughs> what was that 10 years ago it, almost 10 years ago where yeah. we were thinking well i'll never be able to work out again and yeah that was a funny time um so on the they released me at the doctor's office and they said um wait maybe they didn't release me now that I think about it. Anyway, I was on my crutches and yeah. uh, I crutched into the gym and went up to the pull-up bar and dropped my crutches and started doing pull-ups. <laughs> Sounds like a Rocky movie or something. It was somewhat like a Rocky yeah, movie. Be beginning yeah. of a sweet movie. Yeah. But uh, that actually, I, th I believe that that led to a shoulder injury because I was overcompensating and uh, yeah. my hip needed to heal and I wasn't giving it time to heal. And I ended up getting a... Um, tear in my uh rotator cuff tendon and uh, my biceps tendon subluxes so some shoulder issues mm -hmm. make a long story short and um after that i had to take some time off and it wasn't for a while that i i realized that um for one thing i needed to start weight training in a different way in a way that was smart in a way that would protect my joints because um, i'm pretty hypermobile yeah. So uh, I started incorporating. Uh, I mean, I found CrossFit basically, incorporating some How heavier lifts. How did you lifts. find CrossFit? I'd like to hear that. It's the stuff of legends. Mm. So there was this husband of mine who had been doing CrossFit for a while, and he kept saying to me, "Molly, you got to try this CrossFit thing." Did you know about this guy? He sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, 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 no. That's not for me." I'm not going to do CrossFit. And he kept saying, you have to try this CrossFit thing. Come on, you got to try it. And I was training for my third marathon at that time. She was going to like the Arnold's. It was very in the bodybuilding world. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, and I said, okay, honey, listen. After I finish this marathon, because I don't want to do anything that's going to mess up my training, but after I do this marathon, I will come and visit your little CrossFit gym. Your little crossage. Yeah. That's right. I love when people use little to like <laughs> yeah. belittle something. Bless, oh, yeah, yeah. bless your heart. Yeah, yes, come, on, yes. come on to your little crossfit gym. So uh, I did go to visit his crossfit gym. And that's when Andrew Hiller was the coach. And uh, I, that one day I was a convert. See, see podcast episode two for yeah, more exactly. details. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was a head over heels convert. I just loved it right from the beginning. Went from zero to sixty. That's how it happens. Sometimes you just you just fall in love. It's it's love at first sight. Yeah. I don't remember how I found CrossFit since that would tie together these threads. I think I was looking at the main site a lot, so I was always reading. You were very bookish. Bookish. In your, the tech, yeah. techie forums and a lot of techie people were finding CrossFit because it was online. They could do it in their garage. It had all these metrics. 
And so it was popping up on some of my technical forums. It's this cool new way to work out. Yes, and I really liked it. And I was doing it out of the garage. Now, this is where my... Yes, I was going to say, gonna you better tell this Try to get some story. credit here. Um, <laughs> I was doing it half-acidly out of the garage. And she did some research, or I did some research, and we figured out there was a CrossFit gym near where we lived. But I was like, oh, you know, it's too expensive. I don't want to do it. Whatever. I got to deal with the people there. And she got me a Christmas present or yeah, something. Yeah, I bought your on-ramp Bought me Christmas the on-ramp as a Christmas mm-hmm. present. And uh, that was how I started. So in a weird way, you sort of helped yourself get started with CrossFit I guess too. Because so. you got me started and I got you started. Yeah. I was it's supporting like that. What's you that and your story? interest. I'm going to get it wrong now. The Gift of the Magi or whatever where like there's like a couple and... The woman cuts off her hair to give a gift. You know where I'm going with this? People look it up on Wikipedia. It's very relevant, but I can't tell it. Do you know the story? No, I was seeing how far in the nerd hole we're going to go here. <laughs> <laughs> how much editing is Kevin yeah, right. to do? <laughs> uh, I'm sure the listeners will know the story and see how relevant it is. Okay. She cuts off her hair and sells it yeah, to get something for him. And he sells something, I, something like that. They both give each other a gift. Oh, that's beautiful. Long story. Yeah. yeah, so beautiful. So beautiful. Did we have some rapid-fire questions or questions from the audience? I have a question from the audience. Okay. Is life predestined or do you have a choice? Go. Do you want this from a fitness angle? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's predestined. You don't think it's predestined? No. Tell if life why. is predestined, then morality does not exist. Because you, you can't have morality without choice. And if well, everything's predestined, you don't have a choice. Well, it depends what you mean by predestined. But you, one could argue that much of your life is shaped by a few factors. Your genetics, which are not nothing that you choose, which kind of influence how your brain is built, which influence how your neurons fire, which influence everything you do, basically. And you know where you were born, which, again, has very little. You have no choice over. But that influences a huge part of you know what you end up doing in your life. Um, so I don't know. Some people make the argument that it's predestined in that like all of these things were determined for you and you really didn't have a choice. And because of your genes and how your brain is built, that's the decisions you make. It doesn't, so s- no some people would argue, but what does Bryant say? Um, I don't know. I'm a big fan of like everything's kind of random and, and there's just a lot of randomness in the world. And these random events happen that you have no control over and you're kind of just reacting to those. And a lot of it is you know sort of what you were born with and you you just kind of got to deal with what you're dealt that didn't answer whether you, you have a choice or not. oh do you have a choice um i don't i really don't know i, I kind of also like the whole multi-worlds theory that you know every choice you make there's all these other infinite things that are branching out and hmm. um, sounds like doctor who what about you molly um so i was raised with a very strong uh dogma of predestination Mm. like everything's predestined um even the details even the details like if you if you spilled your coffee right now that was meant to happen you know actually i'm gonna say maybe not if you spilled your coffee that's a great just the big stuff the big stuff you know whether people go to heaven or hell because it was a religious standpoint that this dogma was you know taught to me um so i would say where i am now is i believe that a lot of our life is predestined like bryant said based on who your parents were where you were born what time in history um different random events that you have no control over in your history um but at the same time that that's true i also believe that we have a choice choice so my very complicated answer is both are true and I don't think that they contradict each other. Yeah, you're so. put into these certain situations, but I guess at the end of the day, you choose how to react. So what I'll see a lot is, you know, three siblings will go through the exact same environment, and one of them will be completely, utterly broken by it, and one of them will, ri- like, rise above, and, you know, that will have given them the fire they need to succeed. Now, was the one that succeeded, is it because they made that choice, or is it just because they had the right brain chemistry to or handle they, it correctly? Or they happened to be the oldest child, for example, or the youngest child, or the middle, middle Which, child. Which, again, they had no yeah. control over. Right. right. So it's weird, because you can look at a lot of situations, and you can say, person A made the right choice in this scenario, and therefore they have free will. Or it could just be, 
they made that choice because of you know their brain chemistry or because of their birth order or something that they really had no control over and can't give them the credit yeah but as an adult right now if there's something that you don't like about your life you can change it for the most part if you don't like where you live you can change it if you don't like your job you can change it if you don't like the way you are physically you can change it but would you change it that's my thing i think all that programming that goes in most people well that's that's the choice that's where the choice comes in yeah yeah i mean some people might be afraid to change the big things but it doesn't mean you don't have the option to do it yeah yeah i think that was one of my favorite books man's search for meaning by victor frankel anybody anybody yeah Okay, so he was an Austrian psychologist who uh, was put in a concentration camp in World War II and talked about the, the one thing that they couldn't take away from people was how they, could re- how they reacted to any given situation. So they could take away everything, their clothes, their freedom of movement, but they could always choose no matter what happened to them how they reacted to that situation, right? You could always say... I don't care what they do to me. I'm going to have whatever, have a positive attitude or I'm going to think that I'm going to survive this and get through it. And his takeaway in that book was the people that could keep that thought in their head and keep that positivity or have or find a reason to live would make it through um, versus they'd say when he'd see someone that kind of gave up, right? And they'd be dead in two days was, was his thing. Um, now obviously there's other just randomness in there where like a guard's going to come in and shoot five people and you got lucky that you weren't one of the five that got shot. I was going to say, I agree that what we ultimately have is our choice. Um, but I don't like the idea that it's purely your mental attitude that would decide whether you survive or not. Because I think a lot of people who maybe had a, a great mental attitude you know, say, for example, didn't survive the Holocaust or don't right. survive cancer. Yeah. But your your mental attitude still matters. It's still your one choice. Right. I like to go with as much choice as possible just because you want people to be empowered. And it's not a very empowering thing to say my choices don't matter and I was yeah. going to be this way. I like whether it's, you know. This is kind of unknowable, but yeah. I like to err on the side of we have more control than the we more think. positive side. Hmm. 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 What you got? You got I some mean, questions? People yeah. throughout the ages have been trying to figure out free will versus predestination, and we've almost cracked it. <laughs> I have some questions from our listeners. Well, Ooh. what do you got there, Kevin? All right. First one, thoughts on a proper warm-up. Uh, different coaches have different warm-ups. I work out inside and outside of the gym. How do I know how to warm up? Well, that's a great question. It is. It is. Um, I mean, I can give my thoughts about what I like to see in warm-ups yeah um i like to see generally getting the heart rate up um i like to see specific movement prep for the movements that will be in the workout um i like to see a warm-up that really um, reinforces the core's job in keeping the spine stable so dead bugs um and then metabolically getting your body ready to do the task at hand. So mm-hmm. if it's a short, fast, intense workout, that would be different than if it's a long, slow workout. Yep. What about you, Kev? I agree. Core temperature first, then movement specific. And then, like you said, the first time that you're out of breath shouldn't be in the first minute of the workout. Yeah. The outside of that. And at least in our gym, they're never random. There is a, no. every single movement has a specific reason that that is in there. And that's why we have the coaches that we have. Indeed. Because uh, they care about things like getting people properly warmed up for a workout. And so as an athlete, Bryant, um, I'm curious on your perspective. Let's say you know something specific that you need that maybe everybody doesn't need. How do you approach that in a warm-up? Like your calves need a little extra. So I will generally do most of the actual warm-up. And then I'll try to sneak in a little bit of whatever I'm working on. Or maybe I'll tell the coach just, hey, I need to do this first. And, or maybe I'll swap out one of the things they're doing with what I know I need to do. Something specific for yeah. your situation. Yeah. Cool. Next question. Is overtraining a thing? I like this topic. Well, C.T. Fletcher would say no. Yeah, well. 
<laughs> he has a lot of things to yeah. say. He has a lot it's, of it's things to say. It's hard to when you're on that much juice, I'd say. <laughs> he certainly was on the juice. Yeah. He just had a some type of a transplant, heart transplant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do believe overtraining is the thing. Uh, I don't think most people, that is their problem. What do you think? Same thing. I think people who think they're overtrained are usually, usually it's not overtraining, it's under-recovering. Yeah. I would say. Now, if you're doing everything to maximize recovery and you're doing as much volume as possible, theoretically you might be able to, but I would say for the most part when people feel overtrained, mm. no, probably just not sleeping. I was going to say the reality is we're in a sleep deprived society. I don't know what the average is, but I'm going to guarantee it's not eight or nine hours of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep's important. I have had a few times in my life where I was bordering on overtraining and the symptoms I noticed at one time in my life, it was when I was religious about wearing a heart rate monitor. And I noticed that my resting heart rate was higher. Mm -hmm. Um, first thing in the morning than it had been. Um, another symptom that I've noticed is, um, waking up in a cold sweat. I don't know if that's common for everybody. Um, and then the other thing is, is, this would particularly be related more to the long distance running, but those overuse injuries cropping up. Yeah. Like the knee, the, the hip, the, um, those things just starting to bug you um, would say maybe you're running too many miles. It's, it's only been a few times in my life I've felt that, and I, I always backed off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, next one. What are the coach's driving forces behind becoming a coach? Hmm. hmm. Interesting. What about you, Kev? Why are you a coach? I, I really like helping people move properly because it's, it's not as intuitive as, as people might think. And it's, I, I find it more rewarding to have a deconditioned adult come in that moves like shit. And then after a couple months, they're squatting correctly and hinging correctly and keeping their shoulders in proper position and their posture improves. That stuff is so much more rewarding than working with kind of a top level athlete. I like to call it unfucking themselves. So just teaching people how to move well. Yeah. Yeah. And cause that, I mean, that's what protects you at home too. I mean, you, you learn to deadlift then those things carry over to whatever you're doing at home. I feel like most people get injured doing menial things and not lifting. Yeah. Right. They're not picking up something off the ground properly. Yeah. Your stories of people, yeah, throwing out their back because they were picking up a piece of paper off the floor. Yeah. It's just because they didn't learn how to deadlift. Right. And I mean, if, if you if you can squat properly most of your life, you are probably not going to be in the nursing home at the same time as your friends. You'll probably be there a lot later. Your knees are going to be healthier. Yeah. Your hips yeah. are going to be healthier. Yeah. Yeah. If you can so do you an air, like yeah. If you can do an air squat, nobody's going to have to wipe your ass. <laughs> so you feel like you're making a difference, like, for the longevity of these people, they're everyday oh yeah happiness yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah and i mean that's that's probably my goal too it's a it's a longevity thing yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> i agree with everything you said and i think for me too it's there's a spiritual aspect to it i guess i'll say the um that when people get in tune with their bodies and when people start to do hard work in workouts they realize all of these truths about other areas of their life so this, you know, an athlete comes in, this workout's too hard. I don't think I can do this. They realize they can do it. And then in those other areas of their life, whatever it may be, you know, um, a woman who has decided she needs to leave her husband or something like that. She thinks, I can't do it. It's too big. It's too scary. But it's the right thing to do. And she realizes in that workout, she had the strength to finish it. And then in her life, she has the strength to do this difficult thing that she didn't think she could do. So that's one thing that really motivates me is those crossovers. Yeah, the crossovers between physically learning what you can do to what you can do in your personal life. Along those lines, I like the it's it is more meditative than people realize from from a point of all day you're walking around with all these thoughts in your head, but then when you're in the gym and you're squatting with a barbell over your head, you're not thinking about anything else. No. You are just thinking about your body and the way it's moving and throughout a Metcon. I think that's why people usually walk out happier than when they walked in. Movement meditation? Yeah. Or barbell therapy. I know Henry Rollins, the singer, has a whole thing on barbell therapy and yeah. how that, that was therapeutic for him. There are certain workouts that are easier for me to get into that meditative state than others. 
usually it's the long grinders or running um repetitive movements I man i'm the can... opposite are you yeah, yeah i like when things are changing a lot then i'm just focusing on the way i'm moving but if it's if I'm running like a 5K, then I'm just bored and I'm just thinking <laughs> about all this stuff. I can't. It's probably just a practice thing because yeah, I've run probably. a lot. I, I kind of know what state my brain needs to be yeah, in. Yeah, I need that. You need to teach me on. Have yeah. that you should join Thunderbolt well, Runners, There's Kevin. no chance. <laughs> what are you guys running from? <laughs> Good question. Uh, all right. Last question. What can a beginner expect when they start CrossFit? That's a... That's a great question. Um, when a person starts CrossFit, I think that they should expect that they're going to be met where they're at. There's nothing extra special that they need to do or be in order to start. So we have um, all kinds of beginners come through our door, and um, I think there's this misnomer out there that you have to get fit before you can come in and do CrossFit, and it's just not true. You got to come in, you know, be willing to sweat, listen to your coach, and um, everybody can is a beginner at some point. So um, we have a lot of true beginners at CrossFit Thunderbolt. Yeah. What do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think, I think, figuring out what scaling really means in the way that it's it's not. It's not making it easier for somebody, it's making it equal for a newer person. So ideally we are all working at the same percentage of our total capacity. So if if we are each deadlifting 50%, that's the only number that matters. It's 50% of our total capacity. The actual numbers, the actual weight on the bar does not matter whatsoever. So I think that's important for people to realize. Right. And I think that's a little bit like the tyranny of the whiteboard. It's always, it's ranking everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. too obsessed with that. Yeah. And at least but if we can figure out where your capacity is and see where you're performing relative to that, that's, yeah. that's what's important and that's what's exciting. Yeah. Has that always been important to you or is that something that's grown as you've grown as an athlete and a coach? Oh, and that's, yeah, that's definitely something I've learned along the way for sure. That's um, true for me too. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, I was the same way and... um. I didn't realize the each workout we're going for a stimulus. So it's like you could theoretically give your grandma the Fran stimulus if she has, you know, a, a five pound pipe and then she's just gonna pull on the resistance bands. Yeah. If you can make it if you can make it relative to her capacity to do work the same as you, it's gonna be vastly different loads, but you can go after the same stimulus. Yeah, and I guess true beginner is my favorite, like somebody who doesn't have anything to unlearn. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, that's more exciting. There are a lot of people where maybe they learned something in the high school weight room and they learned it wrong, and it's harder to unlearn sometimes. Or they have this idea of what it means, what weight should be on the barbell. They already have a preconceived notion of what that is, and that can be, that can be hard to unlearn. Yeah. I wish we could impart to people how much how much we don't care of what like you know weights how much yeah. weight you have yeah i think there is some of that they think oh i gotta put up a lot of weight to impress this other buddy there impress the coaches yeah. or i think that's i think that's why we, guys are more hesitant to walk into a crossfit gym than girls because they might they might think that their value socially is how strong they are just right it's more in their ego than yeah, for yeah. girls yeah but i mean we don't care yeah we no one care. cares. No one cares. This is back to the beginning. We've come full circle where you talked about what I've learned, the spotlight effect. Yeah. Do what you want to do at the end of the day. No one's watching you that closely. No one cares. Yeah. And if someone's, <laughs> if someone's expending <laughs> energy judging you, they probably judge themselves way, yeah. way more harshly. So. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I've learned too, is when someone says something to me in a way that seems judgmental, there's yeah. usually uh, a reflection back to them of something yeah. They're thinking about themselves or a hang-up yeah. that they have about themselves, and it's not about me right. at all. Good thing you're not, you don't know any judgy perfectionists or anything, right? Oh, yeah. That's I don't, I'm not married to a perfectionist <laughs> at all. That's true. That's good. That would, <laughs> be, that would be really annoying. Yeah. I like to judge people on the things that don't matter to get it out of my system. Uh, really? Like yeah, like you're a vegetarian. That really, you're judging it? I oh, that yeah. all the time. Every day. Yeah, and... Hmm. Every time I make a steak at home, I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, I can't sucker. eat this. Let, let me ask you this, Kevin. All right. <clears throat> Could you right now go out 
look at a cow in the eyes and kill it. Yeah. You could. Yeah. Have you done so? No. Why haven't you done so? I've killed, I've killed a deer, haven't killed a cow. You've killed a ki- deer? Yeah. yeah. I just, that's my thing with vegetarianism. My authenticity is I could not kill an animal, so mm. I'm not going to eat an animal. I think a lot of people don't think about what they're eating. They just buy these things off the shelf, and it's, you know, it could be you know, Pop-Tarts for all they care. It's, it, they're not thinking that that was a living, breathing animal. Would you if you had to? I would if I had to. Would you rather be a cow that lives for a year and then is turned into ground beef or never exists at all? Wow, this thought palace of yours is yeah, yeah. immense. Because here's the thing. Yeah, we're killing all these cows, but we're also making a lot more, you know? So I would, to Chop answer down your a tree qu- and you plant a new one. <laughs> to answer your question, I think uh, with the exception of small farms or farmers who have intention with what they're doing because there's always exceptions um most farm animals have a pretty miserable life definitely yeah, yeah. very poor i think that's the life. difference between your deer scenario too it's like the deer is out in the woods it's living its life it's not trapped in this very small pen where it's sort of tortured for the one year of its yeah. life its babies are taken and you know i mean the deer could die anyway from whatever kills a deer in the wild i don't know mountain i don't know lion, in some places, there are yeah. wolves. Yeah, so, <laughs> we, I mean, that's the, like, law of nature, right? You're all kind of out there living your life, and you can get killed at any moment. But that's different than w- factory farming, which is more like systematic torture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a... I and mean, I say that as a meat eater, but that's the, yeah. my one disconnect. I think there's a middle... I mean, if you try to buy from more responsible providers as opposed well, to... Well, that's what I make Brian do. Right. Yeah. right, that's what she makes me do. Yeah. That's, that's when I cringe that's what when I have Well, you to eat do. eggs, right? I do eat eggs. You're not totally innocent. Not totally innocent, but I... <laughs> gotcha! This <laughs> whole like podcast ch- was leading up to that moment. <laughs> no, that's... that's a, for a long time, that was your saving grace with me. I'm like, well, she eats eggs, and I... So you were yeah. still okay with her? Yeah. Well, I... I so if she didn't eat eggs, you couldn't hang out with her? Ah, that would it'd be harder. <laughs> wow, what about Kim Kavala? Oh, I... Absolutely, we... We were like can't oil and water, <laughs> oil and water. Um, I actually um, spend quite a bit of money on our eggs. We buy yeah. eggs that are from small farms. Free roaming. Uh, yeah, I buy. I, they're pretty freaking expensive. Yeah, we get these Amish <laughs> eggs. I mean, you gotta imagine the Amish are cool to their chickens. Mm, Amish aren't known for their their uh, animal husbandry. Animal. Uh, <laughs> really. Mm, but. It is funny, this whole thing, when you start talking about eating animals, like certain animals we're okay to eat, other animals we aren't. And there's the logic behind it is all crazy. It's like, are they about the same size as us? Do they have friendly looking human kind of like faces? Okay, we don't want to eat them then. Well, and but it's different culture to culture. It is different culture to culture, but it's just a very funny set of rules. Yeah, I feel like we have it right. I mean, you see a deer in the wild and they're just like jumping in front of cars. I mean, they're dumb. Deers are dumb. Like dogs and wolves, but pigs there's are, a lot more but going But pigs are on smart. There. Are they? Yeah. They're very smart. They're smarter than dogs. Yeah. Really? But you have no trouble eating that tasty bacon. Yeah. Have you had bacon? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're smart, but if they they just weren't so tasty. Yeah. If it weren't for bacon, I would probably be an atheist. Really? (laughs) No, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) It's Kevin's proof that God exists. Yeah. Here's a one for you, because I think this is an interesting question, and we're getting close to there now where we can uh, just generate meat without actually, you know, by stitching cells together. I don't know how. I don't know the science yeah, the, behind yeah, it. Yeah, lab-grown meat, yeah. Thank you. Lab-grown meat. That's the terminology <laughs> the I was looking for. The technical term. Yes. So there isn't, you know, a cow being born and slaughtered, which is growing in the lab. Thoughts on that? So it didn't even start with a... With no, a, it just made it. Just put it together. 100% made. So this yeah. isn't like cloned from some cow that was... Yeah tortured and put to death yeah well then i don't have a problem with it for me it all has to do with another being doesn't need to die or or let me put it this way i'm not willing to end the life of another being so okay. i'm not going to eat it if i had a pet cow yes and i took care of it every day yes pet it yes it got struck by lightning yes and i said hey molly here's some ribeye would you eat it no Okay. No. Oh, that's kind of like your dog getting struck by lightning, though. It's like I have this pet, and oh, it died, but we don't want the meat to go to waste. 
Yeah, but I don't look at my dog like someday. <laughs> so that's how you were looking at this pet cow? Yeah. Every day when you were petting it? Yeah, pet yeah. it, throw a little garlic salt on it. Yeah. <laughs> that's so gross. <laughs> uh, hey, we were this whole conversation started with being judgmental. Yes. You know, here we yeah. are. We're three people. We got three different views of the world. Yeah. So. Yeah. Open conversation. Yeah. We all get along. We're l- we're learning things about each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else we wanted to learn before we wrap this podcast? Is that all that you had? That's all I had. All right. Well, all right. this will never see the light of day. <laughs> yeah. This has been another Thunderbolt Strength podcast. Join us next week for who knows what. Who knows? That's a wrap. <laughs>